privilege to welcome uh, Freddie Kemish as he comes to speak tonight. It's great. As we've already welcomed him along with his wife, Georgie. Um, just if, if you don't know, I'll just unpack a little bit uh, how we know Freddie, our connection with Freddie. We've got a, a youth group on Thursday nights that meet called Junction. Junction is youth from this church, but also from Trinity Methodist Church, where Freddie's from. And uh, also some youth in the community. Um, so Freddie's on that team that works with some of our own own folk, ministering to the young people on a weekly basis. And uh, Freddie, I just I don't want to embarrass you in this, but I do want to say <laughs> it's not difficult, is it? You usually do that yourself, don't you? Actually, uh, Freddie, you're an asset to to, to Junction, and and it's we're we're blessed that you and privileged that you're speaking and ministering to the lives of some of the young people from here on a weekly basis as well. So just want to say thank you for that. And uh, looking forward to what you're sharing tonight. Last time Freddie was here, there was a great picture of you as a young kid on the playing football. You got a picture to embarrass yourself tonight? Embarrass yourself enough, aren't you? Let's just pray for Freddie. Father, we just thank you for Freddie. Lord God, thank you for who he is and what he carries. Lord, I thank you for his passion for your word and for your spirit. Lord, I thank you that he just uh, searches those deep things that are found in your word and is open to your Holy Spirit. So pray that as he ministers tonight, those things that you put on his heart, I just pray you give us a revelation of your word and your spirit. For the honour and glory of your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Is it possible just to get the, um, from one of the songs, it, there was just a bit in there where it talked about boasting in Jesus in the resurrection. Sorry to spring that on you guys at the back. It just reminded me, there's a bit in, um, in Ephesians chapter 2 where it says, it's by grace that we've been saved through faith, and this is not by ourselves. And I kind of want to just keep that in mind a little bit tonight. That's sort of what we're going to be um, honing in on a little bit. Um, so like Andy said, for, for those of you that don't know me, my name's Freddie. Um, I go to Trinity Church in Long Eaton. Um, I've come with my wife Georgie tonight and we've left our dog at home, Reggie. Um, I had the wonderful job this afternoon of cleaning him up from rolling in horse poo. Um, so prayers for that would be m- most welcome. Um, I want to start tonight by reading from two parts from the Bible. Um, The first is from Isaiah, and the second is from the Gospel of Luke. If we could have the Isaiah reading up, that would be perfect. Wow. (laughs) I hope you've all bought your glasses. So this is Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 7, and it reads as follows. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And the second reading is from the Gospel of Luke, and it's chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. 
two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you, I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Amen. Uh, So recently I read a quote by a guy called Francis Chan. Some of you might be familiar with him. He's a, a pastor in America. And he said this, The two biggest lies our culture believes today are that we are good people and that because God is loving, he will not punish sin. And when I read that quote, it just highlighted to me a problem that that we face in our culture at the minute. And that problem, I believe, is pride. C.S. Lewis wrote this, Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all of that are mere flea bites in comparison to pride. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Pride causes us to believe that we're good people. Um, It causes us to believe that we're righteous by our own merit and by our own works. But most importantly and most disastrously, it causes us to be distant from God. When he was asked if good people go to heaven, theologian R.C. Sproul said this, All good people go to heaven, but there was only one truly good person to ever walk the earth. And this goes some way, I think, to show us um, the truth, that when we try to determine what we mean by good, we realize that only Jesus was true perfection. We sung it in one of the songs there, Innocent Perfection. Compared to him, we always fall short of the standard. So we've seen there what theologians and philosophers say about pride and the problems that it, it brings. But when we have issues about character and about ourselves, the best place for us to look as Christians is the Bible. And we need to look no further than the book of Proverbs to see what God says about pride. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 5, it says, The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Now, I don't know about you, but that to me is terrifying. Um, It's very clear there what God's attitude is towards pride. It says they will not go unpunished. But the one word that, that strikes me in this scripture is the word heart. It says the Lord detests all the proud of heart. It doesn't say the Lord detests all people that, that display arrogance or that, that show that they're proud in what they do. It's the proud of heart. It shows us that pride lingers deep within us, deep within our hearts, within the very person that we are. In Proverbs chapter 20, verse 9, it says, Who can say, I have kept my heart pure? I am clean and without sin. The author here implores us to ask ourselves this question. Are we really pure? Not just in what we do, but in the desires and the longings of our hearts. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, it says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything that you do flows from it. And that's essential as our, in our walk as Christians, God's instructing us to protect our hearts because everything that we do flows from there. And Jesus talks about this in Mark. 
a very famous bit of scripture, and he says this, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside. And when I talk to people that aren't Christians, um, I know a lot of people that aren't Christians at work, in my family and things, and I say to them, actually just yesterday I was talking to my mum and dad about this, and I was telling them about what I was talking about tonight, and, and um, it's quite common when you talk to people that aren't Christians, and I know a lot of you probably um, agree with this, that when you say to them, oh, you know, but really we are all sinners, they'll say, well, I'm not, I'm a good person. And then you show them a bit of scripture like this, and they say, well, I've never killed anyone. I'm not a murderer. Okay, it's a good starting point. <laughs> but then you ask them, well, have you ever been jealous of somebody? Have you ever lied to somebody? And the truth is there. The truth is that we are all sinners and that we all fall short. And these verses that we've just rattled through, they show us that God warns us strongly against the evil that's within our hearts. And the thing that causes us to forget about these is pride. Pride causes us to think that we are truly good people. It causes us to forget that deep within our hearts lies sin. Um, some of you might know the story of Icarus in Greek mythology. I don't know if it's a very well-known story, but anyway, um, to cut a long story short, Icarus finds himself in prison with his father, Daedalus. And his father, Daedalus, is, is trying to think of a way for them to escape prison. And um, they're on a sort of an island area called Minos. And they can't walk out of prison because there's no land. It's too far for them to swim. So his father, Daedalus, comes up with a cunning plan. They're going to fly out of prison. And so he starts to create these wings made of feathers and of wax. And the day comes where the wings have been finished. And Daedalus says to Icarus, right, we're going to fly out. But one thing, do not fly too close to the sun for the sun will melt the wax, and you will fall into the sea. And Icarus says, yeah, yeah, it's fine, Dad, yeah, I know exactly what I'm doing. No, tr- I've done this loads of times. <laughs> um, and so off they go, they start flying away, and they're escaping the prison. And Icarus, in his pride, continued to fly higher. And he kept going up and up and up, and got closer and closer to the sun, until the sun melted the wax in his wings, and he plunged into the sea. And this is a really good picture for us of, of when someone is too proud to admit that they need some help, which Icarus was. There's another really good story from one of my favorite books, which is uh, Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. A lot of people mistake Frankenstein to be the creature. Frankenstein was the doctor who created the creature. And Frankenstein was a physician who lived in Germany, and his, his desire was to become this world-renowned physician. He was desperate for people to know his name, and his plan was to create a new creature, a monster, effectively. And whilst he was in the process of creating this, he had a few warning signs that maybe this wasn't the best idea in the world. But instead of heeding the warning signs, he continued to go because he was desperate to be the person that he thought he wanted to be. And in the end, that led to him creating the monster, and eventually it led to his downfall. Read the book, it's good. And the excerpt we had from Isaiah, can we flick back to that, please, guys? Um, I'm just going to have a bit of this water. Lovely. The excerpt from Isaiah shows us, um, it's an interesting account. So Isaiah was one of the Old Testament prophets, as we know. And in the eyes of God, 
or what we would think, is that he's been anointed. He's a prophet. You know, he's, he's, he's been blessed by the Spirit of God um, to deliver God's word to the people. So we can look at Isaiah and think, wow, he must, be, he must be amazing. Like God must look at him and think, wow, he's so good. And actually what we see here is that when he comes face to face, it says, with the Lord Almighty, he says, woe to me, I'm ruined. He realizes in that moment that even though he's been anointed by God as a prophet, before God, he's a sinner. And so this begs the question, in order to stand before God, must we be perfect? Does God demand perfection from us? And the answer to that question is yes. But we've just been told that we're sinners. How do we achieve perfection? In the parable in Luke, we see the tax collector just completely awestruck in the presence of God. He's got no other option but to bow his knee and and declare God as his saviour. Jesus goes on to teach this in Luke again when the disciples say, Lord, how do we pray? And Jesus teaches in the Lord's Prayer. And one of the hardest lines in the Lord's Prayer is, forgive us our sins. Now, I don't know about anybody else in here. When I pray, I use the um, Acts thing. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Adoration, we've just done some lovely worship there. It was amazing. To, to say God is amazing is, I find, quite easy in a way. I love thanking God for things. I love coming to God with requests about people to come to, to faith and things like that. But to say to God, I'm sorry, to ask for forgiveness is so difficult. But Jesus tells us that we need to, to ask for confession daily. Every day we need to be asking for confession. And the reason for that is because it gives us a, a reality check. It gives us a perspective check. When we know that we've got to come to God to ask for forgiveness, it means that we know that we still aren't right. Pride stops us from doing that. Pride makes us think, I don't need forgiveness. I don't need to ask God for forgiveness. It creates a divide between us and him. Now, there's a really, really good story. Um, I don't know if many people in here have read the the, uh, Narnia Chronicles, but one of the books in that is called The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And there's a really, really interesting story in there of a child called Eustace. And Eustace is a very arrogant, self-centered young man. And the, effectively what happens is they're on a ship, the Dawn Treader, and they stop off at an island. And Eustace gets off, and in his arrogant ways, he walks off on his own. And he comes across a dragon cave. Bear with. <laughs> and he wanders into the dragon cave, and he sees a dragon before him, and he thinks, whoa, that's scary. And then he looks down... And he realizes that he also has become a dragon. And he's devastated. He thinks, oh, I don't want to be a dragon. I want to be a boy. I want to be my, my usual self. And he goes about for a couple of days in remorse. And he's thinking, oh, no, I'm still a dragon. What's going on? And then one day, he glimpses through the trees a lion, who we all know to be Aslan. And Aslan says to Eustace, he says, Eustace, just go and undress and then go and bathe in the pool over there. So Eustace is a bit confused because he thinks, well, I'm a dragon, so how do I undress? I'm not wearing any clothes. And then he realizes, ah, he must mean I've got to shed my skin like snakes do and things. So he walks over to the pool and he starts peeling back some of his scales and he peels back a little layer um, and he realizes that he's, he's peeled it off and he's back to his normal self. So he goes to step in the pool and as he steps in, he looks down and he's still a dragon. Oh, back to square one. So he goes back to Aslan and he says, just try again, try again. 
So he has another go, strips back some scales, goes to step in the pool. He's still a dragon. And he says to Aslan, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. And Aslan says to him, why don't you let me undress you? So Eustace goes to the pool and he lies down. And Aslan takes his paw and he makes a deep incision into the skin of Eustace as a dragon. And Eustace is in agony. It's so painful. He's digging right in, right to the heart. And he strips away the scales and Eustace stands before him as a boy. And Eustace looks at the skin that Aslan's just peeled off him. And it is so thick. It's not just a peripheral layer. It's so thick. And this story, I think, it gives us a really good metaphor for how when, when we step down from trying to do things on our own, like we said in that, those lyrics of that song, when we try and stop doing things by ourselves and trusting in our own righteousness and we let God come in and help us, it can hurt. Because it means that we've got to realize, oh, I'm not actually as good as I thought I was. I need some help. And that can be really hurtful. But it goes so much deeper than just how you act as a person. The, the, the truth of the gospel goes so much deeper than, I'm going to do some good things. It goes straight to the heart of who we are. But in order for us to allow that to happen, we've got to step down from our own proud position. In Romans chapter 5, it says, Just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. So when we acknowledge that we're sinful, it can be hurtful, it can be depressing. But that's the joy of the gospel. The hope is in Jesus, the hope's in the cross. Pastor Samuel Albury, he puts it like this. In order to be in Christ, we must first be in Adam. That's really challenging. But basically what he's saying is, if we repent from our sinfulness like Adam, then we can receive unity and righteousness in Christ. The sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, it means that we're not just redeemed. In other words, redemption means that we've had our slate wiped clean. Some people talk about it like um, God shows us mercy, meaning that we don't receive the punishment that we should. But the, the, the cross means that we get even more than that. We get God's grace. That means that we get things that we don't even deserve. We get righteousness. We get justification. When we're united with Christ, it says in the Bible, we are clothed in robes of righteousness. But when we're separated from him, we're stripped naked and we're laid before Christ, all of our sins and all our iniquities, just like Isaiah. One of my favorite bits of scripture in Corinthians says that uh, all, all we who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory. And the promise of the cross is that when we step down from our pride position, when we step down from that haughty platform, we receive abundant blessings from God because of the cross. And you know, we can trust in these promises because in the Bible it says, no matter how many promises God made, they are yes in Christ. I don't know if it would be able to invite the guys back up who were just on them, just for us to finish up. I mean, tonight you might be sitting there thinking, this guy's lying. This guy hasn't got a clue what he's talking about. You're entitled to your opinion. You might think, oh yeah, well, 
I am a good person, really, deep down. I'm, 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 I'm good. And the God that I believe in, he won't punish my sin because he's too loving. However, tonight you might be sitting thinking, actually, in comparison to Jesus, who is holy, who is perfect, I don't really measure up. You might be thinking, actually, yeah, I am sinful and I need a saviour. And if that's you tonight, then I'll tell you this. You've been blessed with a spiritual revelation that is life-preserving. You've been blessed with a spiritual revelation that is life-giving. You've been blessed with a spiritual revelation that I know is life-changing. C.S. Lewis wrote this. When a man is getting better, he understands more and more clearly the evil that is still left in him. When a man is getting worse... He understands his own badness less and less. When we step away from our pride and we begin to understand that we're sinful, we start to really understand the true beauty, the true significance and glory of Jesus on that cross. Because of the blood that Jesus shed for us, we can stand before God boldly. Not trusting in our own righteousness, but in his. Knowing that our sins have been atoned for, just like it says in Isaiah. Because of the cross, we're able to stand before God justified, like that tax collector. Because of the cross, we're able to share in a relationship with God, be united with him, be transformed by his love. Because of the cross, we're able to simply stand before God. And what an honour and a privilege that is. Amen. Yeah, I just want to say that if, if tonight you've been, you've been touched, then I'd love to pray with you, um, for anybody in here to pray with you. Don't leave this place if, if you feel that God's moved in your heart tonight. Don't leave this place with a, with a burden or with a problem. Get prayer. But before, um, before we started the service tonight, we were praying as a group, and I felt God just putting on my heart to, to pray for you as a church, and I know as someone that goes to a church at the moment, um, that I know I'll speak on behalf of everyone here, that sometimes it's easy just to conform. Um, and society at the minute wants us to conform to this idea that, that, that nothing that we do is wrong. And sometimes as Christians, um, we have to stand up for what we believe to be right. We have to stand up for what we believe the Bible teaches us to be true. Um, and I just feel like God's telling me to encourage you guys tonight. If you if you stick to the truth of the Bible, you'll get to the heart of the gospel. But if you if you move away from that, just the gospel's diluted. And I, I pray for you guys tonight as a church, as an Oasis church, that you're a beacon in this community. And I pray that that you just keep sticking to the word of God and that you can be a light because that's where true healing is and that's where true righteousness comes from. And, and yeah, I just encourage you again that don't leave this pray place with a, a prayer on your heart. Amen. I, I'm going to ask Freddie just to pray. If you're a part of this church especially, we do, we want to stand for truth. We want to stand for love. We want to be able to preach the gospel in truth and love and grace. So I'm going to ask if you're a part of this church in particular, uh, whether you can, and if you're able to, just stand to your feet. I'm just going to ask Freddie 
to pray over us. And, you know, we pray for Trinity Church as well and pray the same for them, a church in this area that uh, continues to spread love and goodness of the gospel, but a church that's prepared to stand as well. So can we do that? That would be fantastic. Freddie, just pray over us, mate. That would be brilliant. Father God, I, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the, the beauty that it brings to this place in Long Eaton. I thank you for the fact, Lord, that, that this church helps people, Lord. I thank you that it's a church that's full of people who, who know that of their own merit, they can't do it. And in doing so, Lord, you're, you're changing their lives. bit in Psalms that says this, how I love your law, I meditate on it all day long. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And Lord, I just pray over Oasis tonight, Lord, I pray that that the teachings that they provide to this community will be truly life-changing, that we'll see miracles happen in this place, Lord, because it will be your word that's being preached. And I pray that the cross is a central message, Lord. I pray that Jesus' death and resurrection will change lives in this place. And again, Lord, I just thank you for the church. I thank you for, for every single person that makes up this body. Like it says in the Bible that we all bring different gifts. Don't think that your gift is less than somebody else's. Just because you're not stood up at the front doing something. You are invaluable to this church. And I thank God for every single one of you.